Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charities lead at London Marathon Events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do More Good Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. Here we are, James, episode number 77 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Little K Dizzle. I'm all right. I'm all right. Very well, thank you. How about you? I'm all right. I hate it when you call me that. It's been a little while, was it? Season two intro, outro? You came up with it at some point, and I'm yeah. not sure where it comes from. But, your, you know, maybe uh, when we get some merch, Little K-Dizzle t-shirt. Yeah. Like that. Like it was that. your ill-advised foray into rap music, wasn't it? The short, <laughs> short-lived career. But no, very well, thank you, my man. Very well. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We were just talking about, before we started recording, about I'm about to head into London tomorrow for the first time in probably a year and a bit. Feels mm. quite alien, but also really exciting to meet a team that have recruited virtually and actually get to see them face to face oh nice so you've only what you've only seen their little fake digitized faces on screen before exactly Exactly. so yeah so that's going to be good because actually i did i did catch up with one of my members of my team last week and we had a face-to-face we caught up halfway between where he lives and i live and just the conversation was just so much different like it was Mm -hmm. probably one of the most refreshing conversations we'd both had in the last 12 months. I don't know whether it's just this clinical screen time that we're on now, but um, yeah. yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, nice, nice. Mm. What about um, yourself? What have you been up to? Yeah, good. I'm going in tomorrow as well, actually. See oh, you yeah. there. Yeah, see you in London. But yeah, leaving do, leaving do from work. So uh, sad, sad occasion, but I'm sure we'll make it, we'll make it fun. But yeah, I haven't seen these guys for over a year, so it'll be interesting. But before we kick off, Kenneth, We've got, we're talking a little bit about campaigning today that comes up and I want to know if you could protest about something, what, what would you outlaw? What really annoys you? What would you get rid of? It's a tough question, isn't it? There's so much stuff out there, James. I think, you know what, I'd have to go for those overzealous parents on the side of the football pitch during a Saturday morning kids football game. Banned. Oh, they'd be out. They'd be gone. You've never done anything along those lines, have you? (laughs) I recall I recall a story from a while ago I don't know whether this was I don't know whether we recorded it or not but too much you celebrated too much yeah uh yeah I was one of those overzealous parents that I'm protesting about now but yeah my daughter had been playing football for this mixed football team for three years at the time she'd never scored a goal she was the only girl in the team she loved it she was passionate she was trying hard but she'd never scored a goal and then suddenly in this one game where I was on the sidelines she won a penalty so of course the manager said Sophie you go and take it so Sophie stepped up slowly composed herself you know a bit Cristiano Ronaldo puffed the chest out slotted it in the bottom corner to which I proceeded to jump over the rope run onto the pitch (laughs) wrap her like spin her round to the shouts of all the other parents about what is he doing get him off there like blah blah so yeah I was one of those parents but I I never the parents I'm talking about are the ones that just constantly drone on and complain about the kids and rah 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 so yeah you're the opposite of that you're celebrating exactly yeah did you get uh did you get punished for that at all 50 quid fine (laughs) Yeah. What about oh. you? What, what what would you what would you oh, mine are no mine are no fun compared to yours, but I've scribbled down people who don't indicate roundabouts, gone. That yeah. they're out, immediately lose your license, no See excuses. Ya. Talking on the phone when being served in shops mm-hmm. and ice skating. I just hate everything about ice skating. It's oh. cold, it hurts. I've never actually seen it happen, but you lose your fingers when people run like that, that. <laughs> I hate ice skating. Oh go. gosh. I guess it's they're thinking now. Why have what I have given I up my uh, yeah. my Tuesday evening to listen to this drivel? Yeah. Anyway, let's get on and record it because we've got another brilliant guest who's joined us today. So I'll pop on with the introduction. So our guest this week, 
started her career in the field of public relations and after reviewing her LinkedIn profile, which to know is up there with the best we've seen, she held roles such as digital storyteller, chief merrymaker and comms lead before joining the award-winning creative agency Salad in 2016. Following two years with the agency as head of new business, she took on a new role with the agency Studio Republic in 2020, who have a core mission to do work that matters, working with charities, nonprofits, brands and businesses that positively affect people's lives. She's now the business growth director at the B Corp Certified Impact Agency and works hard to apply her personal journey of awakening into her career. Today, she's proud to be recognised as a Beamer 100 and Bournemouth University 30 under 30, but more importantly, an Extinction Rebellion member and protester, dedicated vegan and charity campaign specialist. A pessimistic optimist, she's committed to a lifestyle and career that supports a fair and sustainable future. And we'd like to welcome Flurry Forbes-Martin to the Do More Good podcast. Hey, Flurry. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, really good. What an intro. Fantastic. Whoever wrote that is multi-skilled. You know what? You think they might have a bit of copywriting skills, whoever wrote that. <laughs> best of the best. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking before. We've got to put it out there straight away. You were slightly late to this podcast, weren't you? <laughs> Why are you shaming me? This isn't this is not like level one on how to make your guests feel comfortable. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I, I was 32 minutes late, give or take today. You have um, a good excuse though, don't you? Yeah, but first meeting in about 16 to 18 months first time I've met another human I didn't already know so that was weird in itself because it felt like meeting a celebrity although I sort of was meeting a celebrity because it was Captain Tom's lovely daughter Hannah ah, which made yeah. me extra uh, anxious beforehand but yeah, oh that's nice. good I only mention it because I think you can get away with it at this point especially as we haven't been together but look just to start us off how has, a, has the last year been for you ups and downs yeah just just madness. I'm not going to say the B word because it's the go-to, but it has been challenging. It has been fruitful. Uh, I've met some really interesting people and built some incredible partnerships. And I've proven that I can avoid the fridge when working from home, Ooh, which is my biggest challenge prior to COVID. Not something I think about now because I've obviously mastered the art, but really distracted by the fridge. Pre-COVID, uh, now adv- advanced it. level lockdowning, right? Yeah, it's level eight People or nine. I think don't that talk is... about it enough. Yeah, we've, it. we've done the sourdough thing, done the Zoom <laughs> quizzes, but actually conquering <laughs> the fridge, being able to walk away from the fridge, it's quite a skill. Just nice. get that on my LinkedIn profile. You should. So Kenneth touched on it there. Uh, your career, you decided to move into PR and comms. Where did that come from? Where did that start? That that the genesis of that career? Originally, it was a enthusiastic and highly supportive college tutor who told me that uh, following her communications uh, A-level course, I'd be quite good at PR. Um, and without much knowledge about what it was or any understanding, let's be, let's be authentic here. I had no bloody clue what I was doing, but I was told I'd be good at it. And so I looked up degrees and I went to Bournemouth University and the campus was amazing. Everyone was very friendly. They had a lot of keywords in the description for the degree that sounded like they made, made sense to me. Uh, and so I underwent a degree in public relations <laughs> with not, not much more than that. I learned an enormous amount. I did a, a year's placement as part of the course, which is quite standard at Bournemouth University, which is uh, really useful. I got my degree, 2-1, and a clear direction of where I didn't want to go, which was PR. So I sort of accidentally fell into the agency land where I applied a little bit of PR to everything I did for a while. I basically learned a lot of social skills, built an incredible network of friends, and disqualified the one thing I didn't want to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. And we came across each other this year through the as you mentioned, the, the, the Captain Tom 100, which is, has been recently. Congratulations on, on you and the team on, on, on their results. I saw you did some great fundraising, but also the 2.6 challenge, which we worked with at my role at London Marathon Events. But like looking back through your CV, I mean, social impact seems to have a thread. You know, it, it appears to have run through your, your career in terms of your volunteer work, obviously now in your, in your role and your previous lives in, in, in other agencies. How did that come about? Can you can you pin it on sort of any experiences earlier in your life or or, or could did you describe that? 
Um, I think in more recent times, it was the decision to go vegan, which has definitely catapulted me into that impact space. And I know that might not necessarily make sense because it's not like the day-to-day work I do is focused on uh, the kind of vegan sector, but it was the like allowing myself to watch and listen and read things and like let it go in and and push the kind of naivety to one side and like accept the, the truth about what I was seeing, what I was learning and sort of taking that to heart that, that catapulted me, as I say, into this new world of actually wanting to learn more and more about the things that you had previously chosen to ignore because you couldn't really be bothered or it made you feel guilty or uncomfortable. And the more you sort of tug on that thread or pull the curtain back, the more you realise you, you can't unsee those things. So I went from doing everything I wanted whenever I wanted and doing the occasional bit of charity work. I'd, the kind of main thing I'd done prior to that was uh, setting up the Bournemouth arm of the Kraken Cider charity, which had already been established by a couple of creators in London. And I basically created this first e-commerce store where anyone could buy slash donate funds to gift necessary products to local homeless communities so I set up the Bournemouth arm of that because it's already ready to go and it made a lot of sense and I had contacts with a big issue and stuff like that and that's because I you know homelessness is right there in front of you I cared about it I wanted to solve it so I did my little bit and that was my first foray into that and then yeah when when I kind of went vegan and went on this journey of discovery you learn about the animal cruelty piece and then you learn the link to humans and health and then you learn the impact on the planet and I suddenly had this urgency where I just like every day I'd wake up and just think, I can't sit here and do this job selling nothing to no one, like nothing that I'm doing my day-to-day matters. Why do I think that two days a week is enough time to dedicate to making a change when I have so many skills that could be improving that further and quicker? Um, and so that's where it kind of started. And I chose to leave salad, even though it's a brilliant team doing brilliant work because it wasn't impactful enough. And that's why I joined Studio Republic. And I'll never be able to not do that for the rest of my career now. So that was quite a recent thing, was it? Uh, so, so I went vegan, I think, four years ago this year. Wow. Four years ago this July. Wow. So it's sort of been a steady process. Maybe I made it sound like a, it happened over a couple of days. It was gradual, I guess, until I had mm. the confidence to leave a job that I enjoyed because it wasn't impactful enough. That's a really interesting thing, and I'm not going to be able to articulate this very well, but around those a relatively small decision to do that. And then that le- rather than having an end goal of this is the kind of person that I am and want to be, you make a decision to do that. And then, like you say, you see behind the curtain, you see other things and that leads you down a, a road towards things. So I don't know, rather than being that person to start with, it, it, those kind of sliding doors moments in life that send you down different tracks. And yeah. changing jobs and, and campaigning and etc. So the idea yeah. of working in the charity sector, I think when I first graduated on the first couple of years into my career would have sounded so boring <laughs> to me, if I'm honest. It was a bit of a turn off and I kind of thought it was stale, it was slow, a lot of money goes into it and not a lot of change comes out. It's not often very sexy. It's quite traditional in the way that it asks for support as a world. This is how I used to think, by the way. Mm. You'd, you'd listen to some of our episodes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but yeah, so as, you, as you discover a newfound empathy for it and you connect with that uh, kind of world in a different way, it changes your point of view. I, I assume it's the same thing as having a, a child. I'm mm. not yet a um, parent, no rush to be. But your view of the whole world changes in terms of like, your concerns, your worries, your stresses, safety. And climate change of, often comes into the picture when you have kids because you think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be here for another 100 years, say, max. What, what am I leaving for my kids? And so, yeah, it was, it was a perspective shifting moment and it completely changed. It changed a part of me, really. Um, but I didn't expect it to. It's it's really interesting, Fleury, because we, as we said before, we've kind of we've we've spoken to a lot of people, and we always like to explore people's backgrounds and how they led into working in the sector and having the impact they have. And 
one of the great things about having these conversations is every single story varies. You know, some people set out because of their childhood experiences and they always knew that they wanted to do that. Some people went on a, a completely different route, went into politics, then came back. And, you know, it's all very different. I think what's interesting to you is it happening quite late in your, not necessarily late, but, you know, you were into a career and then you would decide, no, this is, this is the way that I want to go. What, what differences have you seen or experienced so far and I realize this is a really broad question but what are some of those things that you've seen from changing career in a more maybe commercial led agency to now going more on on social impact yeah it's a bit weird for the trees now right because I almost can't remember that previous world even though this the main shift was only a couple of years ago but I guess contextually what's interesting is my my awareness of how common a subject matter this was, how much it was spoken in the general population and general media, how much we we're watching on Netflix as a subject, be it climate change, social impact, you know, sport for development, etc., didn't seem to be that common a subject. But obviously, uh, I hate saying this. I mean, I don't say hey, otherwise I wouldn't say it, but we're kind of getting woke, right? We're all getting woke. This last year has been an insane journey for everyone in terms of self-education, learning to be on your own, learning to cope with difficult situations, you know, paying attention to black lives, maybe where you haven't before, trans issues, all sorts, like incredible year. So I think that operating in a impact-driven, purpose-led business like I do, maybe five or six years ago would have been very difficult because it, wasn't as spoken about we're almost flogging a dead horse mm. whereas now everyone's looking to be a part of it everyone wants to buy it everyone wants to be seen to be doing it uh, so it's easier more exciting and people that's, meaning, that's meaning big brands as well right you, you, everyone everybody and yeah like as you say before you know you use some of the words charity sector was maybe a turn-off it was very traditional you know it wasn't very sexy and almost now brands are actually seeing, well, actually social purpose is so fundamental to our organisation that it's almost flipped 100% the other way. Mm -hmm. And now brands are wanting to be like acting more like charities. My only question that I was going to come on to this podcast to ask both of you, actually, I've been thinking more recently about the invisible wall that sits between agencies, which on the whole, I guess it's fair to assume they are highly skilled, very innovative because they have to be you know, they think about creativity and UX and digital in a slightly different way. Charities, I think it's fair to say, are still, a lot of them are still laggards. They won't kind of innovate unless they absolutely have to. I think change is still a big challenge within that sector, maybe more than others. Mm -hmm. And what it would take for both sides of the fence to realise that if they brought that fence down, it would benefit both parties, like, enormously in terms of impact for the charity opening kind of hearts and minds within the big bad agency world um, and you know through 2.6 challenge and Caps and Tom we've seen the value that of doing pro bono work can deliver your business beyond initial finance mm. so I'll be a, I'll be a fan of pro bono work for life but if yeah what what is it what would it take to bring that wall down and have charities and agencies work more collaboratively to not fear the change to give time for free that's a big question. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, let's yeah. wrap this up one up there, James. Uh, great to talk to you, Flurry. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you um, want to go first, James? Yeah, I think well, we work with an agency and we, we have quite a good relationship with them. We've, we've developed that over the past year. We're quite honest with each other. We, we do work quite collaboratively. I mean, they might say they're a nightmare to work with. Okay. Keep changing their minds. There, there was an interesting point you made around investment and I think that maybe is a key one where, where charities feel like they are always accountable to their donors and particularly their donors. So if, if a donor gives you £10, they might say, right, here's £10. I want you to spend this on the cause. Whereas actually you could spend that £10 in a far better way. So the donor doesn't want you spending their £10 on investing in the team, CRM, working with an agency, whatever it might be, the postage stamps on sending out your DM, whatever it might be. So I feel like there needs to be a change there because a, a company, a private company, wouldn't they wouldn't care about that. They would they would invest where the money is best for, for growth. And I think there needs to be a change of mindset around around that. But being bolder around saying, I'm going to use your £10 to raise £30, which I'm then going to spend on the course, rather than thank you very much, we'll spend that £10 with a beneficiary. 
that for me is a bit more of a change that we need to see. I'm going to pop my uh, answer on an email. Anyway, Fleury, back to you. <laughs> um, so don't wish to put you on the spot, but something that jumped out of your exceptional LinkedIn profile that I wanted to pick up on was one of your recommendations. And at the Do More Good podcast, we like to think that people listening, uh, you know, hopefully take something from this, learn something new, hear someone's background, hear someone's journey, maybe something that can help them in their career. And, and one of your recommendations said to quote, Fleury is a born networker, a real people person, a dying breed amongst today's youth. And I thought this was really interesting in regards to how networking is seen today. And you've touched on it. You've mentioned networking three times, I think, since we started this conversation about, you know, using people. your network. And, uh, and from my experience of today, I think, you, you know, you appear to be a great networker. I see some of the stuff you post on social media. I see that your connections that you've made across the sector and, and from the work that we've done with you. But I think some people find it a real challenge. And in some ways, it's often frowned upon. So I just wondered if you can tell us about how what your approach is to, to networking and, and what it what it's meant for you and, and for your career. Mm, that's a good one. I haven't spoken about this for a while. Livewire Sport, a partner agency of ours who also helped us deliver 2.6, do an incredible diversity programme for young people to give them some skill set after they've studied to help get them into their first career. Um, and I did a session sort of on networking and how you approach it for the first time. I think the context of this is that I have two slightly unusual parents who gave me an incredible sense of confidence from a young age to, to belittle their whole career path. My dad is a mixologist <laughs> and my mum's an artist. So it was always a very fun, loud, bold house. So wow. I grew up in that. Which gave house me parties at your place are good. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah, right? I also think, talking about house parties, it's like a TG hook, James. I, because I was an only child, I was like, I know, lame. Uh, I <laughs> didn't often have friends around all the time, but I got used to talking to my parents' friends all the time, which I think is like a common only child thing, right? Mm. You get used to talking to older people. So the fear of talking to adults sort of went away again when I was quite young. And I didn't really pay attention to what I was saying. I was just you know, murmuring on, much like now, <laughs> 30 odd years later. So I've I kind of have always enjoyed it. And I think where some people, it's like a deathly fear to walk into a room with people you don't know and start talking to them. There is a bit of fear. There always will be, but it's, it's more of an adrenaline rush. Um, and as with all things, the first step is the hardest. And as soon as you've taken that first step, you've tapped on one person's shoulder or nudged their elbow these days. I don't know what you do. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. Wave near nearby, poke them with a stick. <laughs> Networking sticks, there's an idea. <laughs> Networking <laughs> sticks. <laughs> you've had that first conversation and you've broken the ice and you've kind of shown yourself you can do it and just have a normal conversation. It gets easier and easier with practice. Mm. And it's always good to have, you know, a few tidbits that you can lean on, not just the weather, for God's sakes, and to the public knowledge in the context of the meeting. And I guess the relationship building piece, so not just this kind of swanning around a room piece, is again something I've always really enjoyed because I think that's a challenge. Building relationships is arguably one of the most difficult challenges in business and potentially one of the most important. Yeah, I think and most that, rewarding as well, I would say, right? Exactly, in the short term and long term. I've got mm. relationships I've had for years and years. I remember, you know, my one of my first jobs, the MD there was a salesman and they used to say he could sell ice to an Eskimo and he was absolutely phenomenal. And I remember he, him talking, you know, with friends at networking gigs, but they used to be clients of his, you know, 10, 20 years ago, they were clients and now they're friends. And I remember thinking one day I would love it if I was at that point. And I am, I'm, I'm there now in my career. I have clients that I won at previous agencies, you know, they've moved on to other brands and we're, we're just friends. We're just friends now. So I'm privileged to be in this role because my job is to build relationships and I couldn't think of anything more rewarding than that especially in this space yeah, yeah. just thinking as you spoke then I had a similar person who I worked with during my early years so I was like 20 21 22 maybe first kind of proper job in in tech so it was kind of quite a new went out to Barcelona to a conference and this guy was must have been in his kind of late 40s but he wasn't he was just the door opener a guy called Jeffrey very smartly dressed, had a unique, you know, pink chinos, but you could put him in a room with absolutely anybody. He was the guy that he'd go to Queens 
and he would buy everyone within five seats of him like an ice cream just so, and then he'd by the end of the day he'd be chatting to all of them <laughs> and we were in a bar once and he, I was like you know Jeffrey how, how do you do it and he's like see those people over there watch this and he walks over and he trips himself up on the corner of the table <laughs> and then and then starts chatting to these people and actually in the end these people told him can you just go, go away <laughs> <laughs> he wins some yeah, but he, but the, but the, I think the lesson from that is he didn't care. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was just kind of like, look, if they're not bothered, that's fine. Guys will sit on, and it just carried on. And I, I remember that to this day. It's, it's- that's really. Like, I think when you talk about having that skill from childhood, where you lose the fear, you just get used to talking yeah. to potentially quite drunk adults at house parties. <laughs> you know? But you just grow up having that conversation and being able to do that, and that whole networking thing around. Just like, what's the worst that could happen? Just get in there and get stuck in and being used to it. And the more you do it, the more used to it you get. And then you develop this shtick around falling over a table and into people and then starting a conversation. <laughs> and yeah, what's what could possibly go? It's such a key skill. It's such a massive, massive skill in all sectors, I'm sure. But I mean, the charity sector as well, people buy people. It's You're trying to build that relationship with your supporters as well to make them feel like, you know. You, Kenneth, does the the Jeffrey trick with the ice cream. We just does it with shots at bars. I've seen it happen. <laughs> that'll work. That'll yeah. That'll yeah. definitely work. It works in a certain <laughs> environment. I wasn't expecting you to say ice creams. Actually, that threw me. Yeah. <laughs> but that confidence to being able to walk away as well. If you don't, Jeffrey doesn't care. If it, if it goes somewhere great. If it doesn't, you know. So I, I, I do think you have to acknowledge that not everyone is that type of personality type, though, isn't it? You know, we we've been lucky. I've been lucky. Flurry. It sounds like you've been lucky that your experiences have made you that personality type. But that doesn't mean those that aren't that kind of personality shouldn't able to network. But it's still like they feel like I have to be the most super outgoing person mm. to be able to network. But actually, that's not necessarily what it's about. It's just having a little bit of confidence. And and what would you say to that, Flurry? Have you got something to add? Um, <clears throat> so I would peg myself as in an introverted extrovert which I think a lot of people who know me would say that's bollocks you're just an extroverted extrovert um (laughs) I would say the same to be honest (laughs) (laughs) you need you need the mix of introverts and extroverts and I think introverts are almost in vogue at the moment I've seen I've spotted quite a few articles in industry press about the significance of being an introvert and the power of quiet and listening over speaking Um, and I've always thought that's the case because I'm a vocal person you kind of always want what you don't have right curly hair straight hair but some of the most some interesting hair. some hair some <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry but I just don't know what to say to these things when they're out you know um some of the most interesting conversations I've ever had have been with introverts because as someone who is kind of hungry for conversation actually someone who gives me very little and chooses their words quite carefully can command my attention more than anyone else in the room because I'm curious to learn more. They haven't just put all their cards out on the table. Coming back to your earlier point about not everyone being that kind of personality type where it's natural and comfortable straight away. That's totally fair. I think the majority of people, even if they're extroverted, find it difficult. Um, But something I've been practicing recently is, is linked to the kind of meditation, spirituality and all the stuff that I love to read is awareness of your thoughts so when you first step into a room I think most of us would be overwhelmed if we took a step back to listen to what's what the stories are being told in our head when we first step into that room we would just be like in utter shock about all of the stories our mind is telling us they're not going to listen to you you're going to be left on your own what happens if the waiter walks past and I don't offer you a drink like all of these different situations that make you feel like something awkward and uh, embarrassing is going to happen and it cripples you before you've even stepped into the room but we don't often pay attention to it we're just we're almost in it we're in that story nothing we've stepped into a room nothing's happened and we've already imagined a hundred ways it could go wrong and it's the fear that prevents us from trying but it's not real none of that is real I think even if you walk up to you happen to walk up to the most rude person in the room they still, you know, turn around and say hi to you. Okay, the conversation might be a bit boring, but... You get a good anecdote out of it for the next person you talk to. At least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, see, my, my, cop, my Captain Tom 100 challenge was to say hello <laughs> yeah, to 100 yeah. people on the dog walk with my family over there. Oh, so, yeah. How did that so go? It went well. Like, it, 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 it had history. Like, me and my daughter, who's probably the most personality type like me, had done it previously. So we tried to kind of 
bring the rest of the family who are complete opposites to us from that perspective into the into the journey obviously it ended up being dominated by me and my daughter and we <laughs> competing by with each other by the end of it but it was it was super good and actually you know everyone was willing to say hello and and it was just yeah it was just a, a rewarding experience I mean of course there was people in there who don't want to speak and that was fine and didn't want to you know found it uncomfortable someone else talking to me a stranger saying hello you know we we really enjoyed it so yeah it was good awesome Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change, and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes, and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod, plus you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they shandies? There's a couple of TEDx talks. Uh, one of them is a guy, I think he was a consultant who became a football ref so that he could get used to people basically being mean and rude and disagreeing <laughs> with him all the time but to make him a better management consultant. I'll see if I can dig up the links and send them to you. And another one, I think he was an American guy who again was like almost crippled by his anxiety, social anxiety, and I think challenged himself to do some kind of challenge every day for 100 days to go and speak to someone new ask them something new maybe even ask someone on a date I don't know it was quite extreme mm. and again he was talking about his experience of going through that and the fear when everything actually does go wrong how bad is it in real life I think um, that's it, isn't it you can you can do these things and I guess for anyone listening who's maybe thinking that we're talking like oh that's all right for you to say you know you can you can learn these skills they are teachable you do need to go out of your comfort zone like anything it makes me think back to a few years ago I, I felt like I wasn't very good at listening you know like I I could almost acknowledge I was great at broadcasting like us all like now great at broadcasting but wasn't very good at listening and then I went to volunteer for the Samaritans for a couple of years and and you know had to learn how to listen and that was such a good I'm terrible at it now um but you know at the time I hope I was pretty good at the Samaritans but you know it was putting myself in a situation where I thought I know I'm not that great at this this will this will allow me to learn those skills and so, you know, if anyone's doing, there is ways and means that you can become better at networking, can talk to strangers, can get, you know, used to that, that you can learn yourself. But anyway, we went off on a bit of a tangent. Of the tangents. Very good. If you were talking to somebody about Studio Republic, introduced yourself and said you weren't there, what would you tell them about becoming a B Corp? What does it mean? Oh, like the ultimate VIP club for purpose-led brands basically. That's my words. It's obviously not their words. Their words are using business as a force for good, which is much more professional. It's a weird one because if you know what it is, it's like the most incredible symbol and draws people in. It draws candidates in. It draws clients in. It draws partners in. It's amazing. If you don't know what B Corp is, then it can take a, it's a bit weird having to try to explain it because it's relatively new. But when you start dropping names like The Guardian, The Body Shop, Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's, then people start to understand the scale of a B Corp, at least in terms of the movement. I think it was something a thousand, a thousand hours recorded it took us to get through the application process wow. to get the certification. It's no small undertaking, which again <clears throat> is why it's so respected by those who have it and those who don't because you can't just pay 50 quid and get, get the logo slapped on your website. What's that off the to-do list then, Kenneth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, does it, what does it mean in terms of the culture at Studio Republic? I mean, you, you talked about it there. It, it allows you to, you know, maybe reach new audiences, acquire talent that are interested in that. But I'm just interested in how it manifests itself in, in, in the culture. Um, I think I would say, honestly, that the a B Corp type culture came before the B Corp. Right. I think that's probably important and it's probably the case most of the time. Um, otherwise you're having to do an enormous amount of work to retrofit it. Like it looks at every element of your business, including how you treat your employees and your customers and things like that. So the culture sort of needs to come first, but it's, it's just like the cherry on top to say, yeah, we see what you're doing and you are purpose before profit and we can see that. And so then from an uh, outwards communicative point of view, two partners, two employees, two customers, then it, it says a lot without us having to say it. Mm. So for those, in, for those in the know, it's valuable. 
And so the bigger it gets in general, and the reason that B Corp holders, B Corp certification holders are advertising it more and more is because the bigger the reputation, the easier it gets for us to sell ourselves off the back of it. I was going to say, does it help with with attracting clients? Do you have you have you got people through that because maybe purely because you are a big corporate or if you kind of hook them in through that? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's just like, as I say, like a sweetener, like, oh, make sure you talk about the fact that you're B Corp certified to our board. They'll really like that. Sometimes it's we found you through the B Corp network because they're specifically looking for agencies in that location. Sometimes they're a B Corp and they only want to work with other B Corps, which is nice. Uh, we recently started working with another B Corp uh, over in the US. So lovely. I don't know if that's a B Corp trend, but people who are B Corp are also really nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's made a huge difference. We're hiring a marketing manager at the moment to support the new business function at Studio Republic. And most of the recruits have mentioned how amazing it was to see that we were one. Wow, cool. So yeah, it definitely pays dividends, even though it's a lot of work. We haven't really jumped into to, to Studio Republic too much, but I mean, it'd be great to, to, to hear a little bit more. I mean, I, you know, the reason we're having this conversation today, I guess, is because we connected and, and through some of your work that you've done, as we've touched on already. But if you can tell us a bit more about Studio Republic, what you do, your purpose, but also what, what are some of the great campaigns or exciting campaigns you've worked on over the last year? And what's your USP as an agency? I guess that's always a question I like to ask agencies because you do get a little bit of a rep sometimes. <laughs> We do. Agent, just agencies. <laughs> no, not you. Agencies. Oh, well, yeah, you. Yeah, we heard about you. Yeah, yeah oh, I know yeah. you do research better. <laughs> but, you know, you talked about that wall earlier, and I think there is a kind of a general agencies, you know, almost the word agency, expensive. Mm. Right? That's what kind of one of the things that... We are very me. expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. We're great value. Yes. So SR's been going for... Uh, 18 years originally it was like classic story Chris started out in his bedroom as a developer then he started working for local businesses uh, him and his business partner grew it into like quite a reasonable sized team and I think on the impact journey the, the furthest they got was like doing good work for good people which nowadays is just like a bit, a bit of fluff it doesn't stand for that much everyone can pretty much grab hold of that and then the past five years, we've had sort of shake up in terms of our team, our leadership, our service offering. I'm really proud to be invited to the board June last year. So right in the thick of COVID, both myself and our project manager at the time were invited to join the board. So that it became two business owners and two directors. You know, I don't think age is everything, but under the age of 30, female board, I feel like those are three words that aren't often together and probably should be quite a bit more. So I'm proud to kind of have that voice in the direction of the team. But as I say, B Corp certification, the culture was there, the desire was there, but it definitely helped sort of chisel away at the extent to which we wanted to focus on impact. We've always worked with charities, but that niche has got smaller and smaller. So, you know, we used to work with maybe estate agents and charities, but now it's always charity, nonprofit, purpose-led organization. If you're not doing something that makes a meaningful difference that we can measure against, then I'm sorry, we're not the agency for you. That's fine. There are thousands of agencies out there that can help you with that. And yeah, the significant role of COVID on Studio Republic in the past year has been that we always had an appetite to focus our skill set and our desire for impact into sort of a shorter spanning project like a campaign. And we've done a little bit with Ordnance Survey in the past and a little bit with some kind of localised homeless charities, youth homeless charities. But then COVID hits, we're about to put ourselves on furlough and I get a phone call from a sustainability consultant who's a friend of, of mine in our business who also happens to be a sustainability consultant for London Marathon. And she says, there's murmurings going on of all of these uh, mass participation sports brands getting together to put something on in place of what would be the London Marathon, because obviously everything's shut. Would you be interested in introduction? Yes, please, absolutely. Kate, get us in there. Um, and then that was it. Like within two days of meeting Nick and Hugh and the rest of the team, we were in. Then they introduced you to Kenneth. Here's the catch. I've made a mistake here. <laughs> you turn. Um, yeah. yeah, so 
as I say, we were, we were about to put ourselves on furlough and I literally went from doing nothing to seven days a week from 6am till 10pm every single day. And then obviously the resulting creative branding digital campaigning work, we raised 11.2 million for nearly 4,000 charities, which still doesn't totally sit as a realistic figure in my mind. Like, it, it doesn't feel real. You can't say a number that big and it, and it feel... Like that's a, a that's a nice number. It's, nice a, number. it's a good yeah. yeah. I liked the thing that you, you mentioned in there, and it's similar to how to where we talked about networking, but being confident enough to walk away and say, actually, we're not the right agency for you. There's loads out there. So therefore, then you you kind of have your own principles. You've got your own confidence around that. You're not just desperate to make money. Obviously, that comes with the B Corp thing as well. That's quite clear. But going into a negotiation or a conversation, having that confidence to walk away is lovely. That's really nice. It's, and you know what? I don't know if everyone totally appreciates that it can be challenging. Like when you first start out on that journey and you don't necessarily have all of the dream credentials to say this is only what we do, we won't do anything else, then it can get a little bit tricky from month to month in terms of making sure your bills are paid. Ultimately, we're a business. We have to do that. We've got people that we need to look after and take care of. But the ability to say no is so crucial when you've created a brand and a reputation that's built on principles. You can't start chipping away at that for the sake of a few quid here or there, because otherwise you have nothing. And over the years, there have been some challenging conversations internally where we've had an opportunity where it's been some decent money or we've had a bit of a tight month or whatever. You know, those things still happen. We're not out of the pandemic yet. And this battle between you know, what we need in the short term versus making sure we stay true to our values and our mission yeah and it's not easy it's not just a trendy thing it's like it's a commitment like having a puppy yeah. very similar to having a puppy yeah <laughs> Can you... <laughs> there's a quote kenneth and i talk, talked about this and we have said you know we're going to stick to we're only going to have the best guests that we possibly can they are not allowed to be any longer than 32 minutes late for an episode <laughs> we're very strict very strict about that but you do have to have that. You got to be, you know, we're only going to accept a certain level of guests, that sort of thing for us. And charities as well, like, I'm sure it's not exclusively around corporate partnerships, but it feels like you should be able to, you know, don't necessarily chase after everything. Go after, you know, you bring so much to the party as well. You've got value, right? Yeah. You've got you've value, got yeah. You have so much value that you bring to it. And um, the kind of, the, the, the sense of your own worth as well as it is in your role and your position within the charity as well is, is increased, isn't it? Absolutely. So you've had a sorry, Flu. You've 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 had you talked about it there. The two point six challenge. You know you've had a really interesting twenty twenty. Being brought onto the board, some great work that you've put out. What are you guys seeing for the future? Are there kind of any trends or any kind of directions that that have become more prominent over the last twelve months that you think this is the way that we're going to go as an agency? What does the what's the next one, two years, three years look like? I'll just get out my crystal ball. I think certainly like when it comes to fundraising charities have had to innovate and they've had to move into digital even if they've been uh, moved there kicking and screaming and I think coming out of the pandemic it's going to be understanding the right balance between you know delivering some services digitally versus in the real world events what elements of events could be delivered digitally versus the real world in terms of maximizing their reach and the impact they can have rather than just kind of one-to-one uh, a particular sports track in London you know they, they have the ability to reach out to people across the UK and the world so it's up to us to keep abreast of what those innovations are affordable innovations for charities at all different levels and we, we absolutely want to get more into kind of campaigns because we can see the return on investment if the idea is there, if mm. the kind of principles are there, if the right team and resources there, it can it can be absolute magic. So definitely more campaigns in the future and probably more into the climate space because from an impact point of view, arguably nothing is more important because if we don't sort that out, then... Yeah, it's on off the agenda, either. isn't it? Well, this year, I mean, it's it, it's really kind of... Whereas before pre-2020, it was it would it was finally getting the coverage that it deserves and needs and it just feels like it's just dropped down the agenda again which is madness absolutely. yeah it is madness i mean you can understand it you can understand it because of what's happened 
but it's you want it to see it quickly okay when we get on the other side of this quickly come back up and get even bigger than it was before as an issue so mm. yeah yeah how about for you what are your hopes and dreams over the next couple of years where do you want to go oh well i'm hoping to go to ibiza later in the year that'd be nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> anywhere in particular come on what in ibiza yeah i don't actually know my, my sister's the organizer that's a top skill in life ladies and gentlemen surround yourself with people who are great at organizing things so you never have to my partner my sister my greatest friends are all organizers so i'm not really responsible for anything i just yeah. turn up and have a good time but from a professional point of view which i assume the question was uh, pointed at i think for me as i say i've not always been an impact driven person but the significance of making an impact and how it makes me feel professionally and personally is so important and it's only increasing so i i almost feel like you know when you get older and the story is like you'll you'll wear purple and you won't give a toss what you say and things like that when you get much older I'm kind of getting to the point where I sort of don't care what anyone thinks or how I get there. I know I need to make as much impact as I can as long as I'm on this earth. And I'm sort of getting a bit impatient, not, you know, where I am right now, but just day to day, things need to change. People need to change. Behaviours need to change. And I have the opportunity with the brain that I've got and the skills that I've got to make as big an impact as I can. And so I'll just be sprinting in that direction wherever it takes me forevermore awesome what yeah we, you may not know this but we make uh, gifts of quotes for the episodes <laughs> that's that's going in brilliant well yeah, we did, but we, want, we need a we need a good design agency that can help us with that <laughs> uh, one of those. <laughs> oh really we'd be interested in the view look flurry i think that's a, a lovely way to kind of wrap it up and just thank you for your time thank you for your energy i've, I've enjoyed Working with you over the last year, I think you bring loads to the table as both an organisation and an individual. You know, you've been refreshing to hear your perspective, not not afraid to challenge, not afraid to put things forward. So I'm sure you're going to do even greater things than, than you have already. But we're not going to let you go quite yet. We're going to ask you some quick fire questions. Oh, I hadn't. Wait, I need to get in my gushy. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was very generous few words you shared with me there so i appreciate those a lot thank you no worries that's, that's quite nice it's right? oh, yeah. a nice moment actually. Yeah. Take, take the tone <laughs> down like, yeah. build it back up okay <laughs> okay let's go <laughs> james you want to you want to go for it or i'll go first how quick, sure. hold on i don't understand how these work how quick don't worry you, you don't need to understand it you, look you you're 32 minutes late to the start you don't say <laughs> in this just, just, oh for god's sake <laughs> Uh, if you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self what piece of advice would you give and why oh I think about this all the time this is like the dream I obsess over but I'm not 20 it's usually when I started university so nine years ago where am I oh I would tell oh I tell myself to spend a bit more time with my lovely grandma because she's not going to be around for much longer and try and coach her into a space of mental health because she suffered with anxiety for like 50 years and no one ever told me so do that is it too late to invest some money in shares in tesla or something <laughs> I love, and you went from such a lovely thing to a real <laughs> could have before get some bitcoin there, are, there are many yeah. sides of each personality <laughs> <laughs> And I'd also tell myself to pick up my boxing gloves a bit earlier because I did that a couple of years ago. I smashed it. I was amazing. I, I loved it. Then I caught a bad injury and I was going to go into my next actual white collar boxing match and COVID hit. Now I'm a year back, the unfittest I've been in forever. So I feel like if I started that... that fridge again, eh? <laughs> the fridge! The fridge, man! Me and the fridge. I could write a novel about my war with the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Can you tell us about one life hack, productivity tool, a habit or a skill that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? Two things. One, if you work from home and you're going to continue to work from home, get up, get ready, get your shoes on, make yourself take away coffee or tea and go for a walk around the block so it feels like you're commuting to work. Nice. Because that time is everything. It makes such a difference if I wake up late to my day. 
And the other thing is I've tried every type of digital tick list there is. Nothing beats writing down a to-do list with pen and also a highlighter comes in handy. It does, it goes into your brain differently. It just does. So <laughs> pen, pen, paper. Yes. Game oh. can't, can't do digital. <laughs> no. Final question for you because Kenneth needs to get to bed. As a <laughs> podcast that is focused around people doing more good, what's your favourite story, inspiring individual that you have met on your journey or recently who has done something good for others? Oh, so many people. Got to pick one. Got to pick your favourite. <laughs> I, li- I literally am just overwhelmed with people. It's really difficult, but if you think of recently, we find that that seems to help. No, but I'm just overwhelmed with Captain Tom, and I don't want to say Captain Tom because everyone knows how incredible he is, and I unfortunately didn't get the chance to meet him. You know what? I'm going to put a shout out for Hannah because I don't think people necessarily realise the amount of work that went into everything that Captain Tom did and there's so much that happened behind the scenes that will you know never be celebrated but an enormous amount of work around the clock and it's not over for Captain Tom's daughter Hannah and the rest of the family they were still on this journey with creating the foundation and they put their heart and soul into every single day as a hero an ongoing hero and someone that honestly has the greatest heart I would say Hannah she's got big goals for kind of supporting people across the country Awesome. Look, we'll wrap it up there. Fleury, thank you so much. If anybody wants to find you, get in touch, interested in Ibiza club recommendations, where (laughs) where would they find you? Get me on LinkedIn. It's my number one advertisement. Just uh, linkedin.com forward slash Fleury FM. To find out more about Studio Republic, you can visit studiorepublic.com. Also. All right. James, any final thoughts? Yeah. So when we started out this episode, we talked about merch. And so I've been scribbling down some slogans for T-shirts as we've been going through. Introverts, the new extroverts. Big deal on LinkedIn. Kicked out the Samaritans for talking. B Corp VIP club. Lockdown level nine. Or little K Dizzle. Anyway, <laughs> let's just edit this bit out. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> See you later. Take care. <laughs> Before we go, quick quiz for you, Kenneth. Uh, Twitter. Do more good pod. Instagram. Do more good pod. Website. Do more good.uk. Uh, reviews. Please leave them on iTunes and all other good podcast providers are available. MySpace? Uh, little K Dizzle, still going strong. That goes in there. That goes in there. Every week. We don't need to do the others. That's great. <laughs>